Well, my name is Will Cook, and I serve as the student pastor here at Perimeter Road Baptist Church, which means that I get to interact with and preach to and prayerfully and hopefully make disciples, um, primarily of our 6th through 12th graders. And I spend time with their parents, and uh, it, it's a lot of fun sometimes. And uh, they remind me that I'm not as young as I once was. And so here's my lead in, um, speaking of not being young anymore, yesterday we took a family trip to the lake and I attempted water skiing, which means for the next several days I will be attempting sitting down, standing up, and the sport of walking. Um, I also want to make mention of John Bracken and just say thank you to John. Uh, last week, he preached God's word, and I just thank him for his passion for the Lord and his desire to preach God's word rightly, um, boldly. And, and I would say for myself, and I think speaking for many of you as well, uh, that God's word uh, hit the mark last week as he expounded on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And he was, he was so right in uh, claiming and, and pointing out the fact, the truth, that salvation is of God. And it's wrapped up entirely in the work of Christ, that by grace through faith, we have been saved. And so we see that grace and that faith is a gift of God, that, that that's not a work that we do. In fact, both of those, the grace and the faith, are gifts of God and for that, we worship our great Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this morning, with John giving me the green light, I called him last week as he was in the midst of uh, preparing for uh, the first half of Ephesians chapter 2. I said, John, what are you going to be sharing with us? And he said, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I said, okay, great. Would you mind then if I piggyback on that and pick up in verse 11? And he said, go for it. And so what we said last week is that Everything we hope for hinges upon faith in Christ as our Savior and the atoning sacrifice He has made for us. And that was a very personal, that was a very individual message that each of us heard uniquely. And hopefully it hit home in our hearts and found fertile soil where that word of God was planted and now is being watered and nourished so that it can grow and cause spiritual maturity. This week, this morning, we're going to see a shift as Paul kind of changes ever so slightly uh, the, the target of his audience, wherein last week he was saying, Will, you've been saved. And, and he would say, Peyton, you've been saved. And Troy, you've been saved. And Claire, you've been saved. And so each individual person, you have been saved by grace through faith. And now we see this, this shift where he's saying, you have been saved, yes, but that's a plural you. You as the church in Ephesus, the faithful followers who are uh, gathering locally together in that city, you all have been saved. If Paul had been born in the South, if he ate uh, biscuits and gravy instead of manna and honey or, I don't know, fish and chips or whatever fits there with, with the Ephesian culture, then he would say, hey, y'all, 
listen up. I've got something important to say to all y'all. All y'all have been saved, right? So that's the context here. All y'all, all us, we have all been saved by the blood of Christ, by grace through faith. And this is not of ourselves. This is nothing we brought to the table. I believe John said it last week and it's worth mentioning again. The only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin from which we must be saved. And it is entirely the work of God through the redemptive work of his son that we are saved. And so this morning, God's teaching once again is for all of us. Yes, it applies to us uniquely as individuals. However, we also see that this morning as we kick into verse 11, it applies to each of us corporately as a body. And as Clint was, was so right to point out, this goes beyond the walls of Perimeter Road Baptist Church. Yes, this, this includes the Southern Baptist Convention and the believers who identify with it, but it's even broader still. It's broader than all of the uh, Christians in America. Yes, this is applying to all of God's believers globally, universally for all of time. Now, now that we know that this message is for all of us, I want to kind of give a disclaimer. What I want to do this morning with our lesson is avoid beating around the bush. I wanna to cut to the chase. Now, personal background for this, I fought against this text pretty forcefully throughout the week until finally my third draft, I said, okay, God, I think you've done your work in my spirit. I think that you have finally gotten through this stubborn knucklehead so that I understand what Paul was preaching and teaching to the Ephesians and what you are preaching and teaching to us now, even at Perimeter Road Baptist Church. Personally, I'm not quite fond of that because it rubs against my flesh. It causes me to feel awkward and uncomfortable. I feel as if the Holy Spirit has been abrasive to me. I found this half, of, uh, this, this half chapter of Ephesians to be much more than I bargained for when I called John. I said, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll piggyback on your text and I'll, I'll finish out that chapter. Why not? And the Lord was saying, yeah, there you go, little rodeo clown. Why don't you jump in that ring? I want to walk through this text as sensitively and simultaneously boldly as I can. So let's pick up in verse 14 and we'll get to the juicy stuff. Ephesians 2 verse 14 reads as follows, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, so we start with mentioning Jesus as our peace. Nothing abrasive there. That sounds really nice, actually. He has made us both one. Okay, I, I can jive with that. But, but what is this dividing wall of hostility? Why did it have to be torn down? And why is it so serious that Christ had to break down the wall of hostility in his flesh? 
i.e., why did he have to sacrifice his life for this dividing wall of hostility? That seems violent, that seems harsh, that seems painful. You know, we can all get hostile about many things. One of my favorite movies as an adolescent was Remember the Titans, Denzel Washington at his best. And in that movie, they're at football training camp and he says, you are uh, mobile, agile, hostile. That's good to be hostile on the playing field, I think. Claire and I may have a little bit of a different opinion on that, but I say, go for it. We can get hostile about many things. We can form teams based on these issues and we can get downright hostile towards the people on the other team. These sources of contention that lead to hostility can take many forms. They can be some of the most serious issues that we face on this side of eternity. Things like Bama or Auburn. We can get downright hostile about the Alabama Nick Sabans or the Auburn Tiger Eagles Plainsmen. We can get hostile about jorts or Georgia. Take your pick. If you want to wear jean shorts, that's fine. I will not get hostile about that. We can get upset about whether or not people should drive four by fours or smart cars, whether they should eat vegan or eat fried chicken, whether or not Coca-Cola or Pepsi is the superior drink. We can get hostile about being married or single or looking to mingle. We can be hostile when it comes to homeschool or public school or private school, Trump or Hillary, pro-life or pro-choice. We get hostile when we look at other people's lives and they don't fit our own standards. We judge others for spending too much money, for spending too little money, for not having any fun, for having too much fun, for driving too fast, for driving too slow, you name it, we have an opinion. Yet none of these really come close to explaining away the hostility that is in view of this passage. So let's see what Dr. Honer has to say, this word hostility expresses hatred or hostility towards groups, nations, individuals, and sometimes even God. Here, the hostility is not between God and people, but between the two groups of people, namely Jews and Gentiles. It is in contrast to the peace offered by Christ, the peace between Jews and Gentiles. You see, this hostility deals exactly with, precisely with the hatred and the animosity built up between two people groups. On the one hand, you have the Jews, and on the other hand, you have everyone else. These groups clashed violently, hatefully. There's no way around understanding this historical context of the passage. We must realize and it must be firmly planted in our brains that when Paul says Christ is taking down the dividing wall of hostility, that what Christ is taking down is that hatred between people groups. And so what is it? The issue of hostility in Ephesians 2.4, 2.14 is racism. This is a pride-fueled sin dating back to the early days of the Old Testament. It is carried over into the New Testament era and it is still alive and well today. 
This evil, this racism exists in our country. It exists in our community. It exists in our Christianity. And it even exists in our church. Now, I personally was hesitant to preach concerning this subject. In my mind, there are men and women who are much better equipped to handle this. Still, when it comes to rightly preaching this text, I find no way around it. I try to cutesify the message. You see, I fall into a group of people known as people pleasers. And I like for other people to think well of me. And so for me to stand before a large crowd and say, what I'm going to preach might offend someone is hard. But God says, listen, you're a preacher of the word. You're not up there to garner favor with anyone, but be faithful to the text. And so we must be faithful to Ephesians chapter two. It must be addressed. The Jews and the Gentiles were hostile to one another. They despised one another. They hated one another. Let's paint the picture even clearer. William Barclay writes, the Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel and all the nations that he had made. The best of the serpents crush, they said, the best of the Gentiles kill. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. As I read this, I think back to the book of Exodus and the racism that the Hebrews endured under Pharaoh. I think back some two to 300 years ago and reflect on the Western slave trade. I think back less than a hundred years ago and think about the Holocaust. Racism has been around since God made covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and set apart a people for himself. This didn't sit well with everyone on the planet. It was Israel, versus the world. You see, in Israel's eyes, war against people was not just common. It was a way of life. Over the centuries, the Israelite bloodline thickened. Their enemies grew in number and grew in anger. Somewhere along the way, Israel stopped viewing other nations by their national name. And instead, they just lumped all these people groups together and said, Gentiles. And their hatred grew and grew. It was the Jews versus the world and their contempt for outsiders, their contempt for others knew no bounds. So as we look at Ephesians chapter two, verse 14, we see that this is hostility. 
that Christ dismantled on the cross. And I love how John Piper says this. He says, you know, the cross of Christ served many purposes. And this is by God's design. By God's design, yes, we are saved and restored to God. Similarly speaking, the cross of Christ by design restores us to one another because it destroys, it dismantles racism. Your salvation provided by Christ was not only to restore to perfect, restore you to perfect peace with Almighty God, Christ also died to give you peace in this life with your earthly enemies. You see, God has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. He's broken down that wall of hostility between us and an Almighty God. And He has broken down that wall between us and others. God is after our unity. He is after our affection for him and our affection for one another. What did Christ teach in his earthly ministry when he was quizzed and uh, trying to be trapped by the Pharisees? They wanted to create questions that would cause him to stumble over the answers. And so they said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself dividing wall of hostility comes down through love. Matt Chandler says, if we get our vertical relationship right with God the Father, then the ripple effect, causative effects is that we now get our horizontal relationships with each other right as well. And yes, we have come a long way. You and I and our ancestors have come a long way. As Clint mentioned, the inception of the Southern Baptist Convention was tumultuous at best. Our SBC began with a troubling launch. It's founded by men who maintained that unlike other Baptists, these particular Baptists could support the Confederacy. They could back the institution of slavery. They themselves could own slaves while engaging in missions. These were the principles that they stood upon. Praise the Lord for faithful men and women who have since that time righted the ship, keeping us on the course for Christ, keeping us faithful to the text and the message of the gospel. In 2016, our SBC finally voted for SBC churches and members to stop displaying the Confederate flag. This was another step in recognizing the work of Christ. This was monumental in our convention for recognizing the power of the cross. Praise God that Christian men recognized the hurt that we had caused to our brothers by displaying this symbol. These men seeking to honor God with their lives and with their vote, not only recognized the hurt, but they embraced the hurt caused by this flag. Still, it personally fills me with angst and pain to see these symbols on the back of pickup trucks, tattooed on skin and flying high over I-75. When the day comes that 
God allows and equips Claire and I to bring a child of color through adoption into our family. And that child asked me, what does that symbol mean? Why, why is that flag there? I pray God gives me humility and repentance in answering that question rightly. And I'm thankful to God that we belong to a body where such signs and symbols are not to be tolerated because Jesus Christ has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. Russell Moore, who serves in the Southern Baptist Convention as leader of ethics and religious liberty, says, the cross and the Confederate flag cannot coexist without one setting the other on fire. Folks, is the cross more important to us than a flag? Are people with different skin colors than our own more important than our own family heritage? All right, here's the logical question. Perhaps you're sitting listening and you want to know, what does this have to do with me? Why are you bringing me into this? I am not leaning into this wall of hostility. I am not adding blocks or bricks or boards to this dividing wall of hostility. I certainly did not prevent God from tearing down this dividing wall of hostility. So why are you dragging me into this? Listen, the gospel drags all of us into this. We don't have an option. We love Ephesians chapter two, eight and nine. We have been saved by grace through faith. Look at what God has done for us. Hallelujah, amen, praise the Lord. Now let's move on and let's get the full context of this. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to pin down these holy infallible words says now racism is destroyed. Is it destroyed in our hearts? This is the command of God for us to not acknowledge this or play indifference to this. Is it ignoring the work of Christ. Ephesians chapter two, verse 22 reads, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. This is you and you and you and you and you and me. This is us. Y'all, we are dragged into this by the Holy Spirit. We are all being built together intricately, strategically, and praise God, we are being built together even forcibly by his spirit. This is done in a way that confronts our prideful tendencies. It causes us to think less of ourselves than we in our flesh want to. It destroys the pride that swells up within. It lets us identify and hear the hearts of others so that we can, by modeling Jesus Christ, love other people. We must hold hands with the spirit of God. Galatians tells us this, that the fruit of the spirit is love. We are to love others in spite of our preferences. We hold the gospel nearer and dearer to our souls than our own opinions that cause us to be hostile. We hold hands with the spirit even and especially when we are walked over the coals of purity. His work is real, it is deep, it is life-changing. And listen, guys, if we think 
that we can destroy this sin, if we can destroy the evil of racism, or if we can destroy any other evil by adding a few new rules to the checklist, if we think these sins can be destroyed by changing our actions or some behavior modification, we're wrong. Hear me loud and clear when I say it's not enough to change our behavior. We must plead for God to change our being. And this is the very thing he is eager to do. Y'all, as far as we've come with racial reconciliation as a society and as Christians, we should be grateful. I'm grateful that my parents taught me and took me to school where the lesson was you get along with everybody. Yes, have friends with everyone. Be friends with everyone. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that my sports coaches encouraged us, caused us to share locker rooms with people of different skin color and different ethnicities. I am thankful that on the football field, when it was time for a water break, that all of us on the field, regardless of skin color, shared a water bottle. I'm thankful for these small life lessons that show the progress that we as a society have made over the generations. And I'm thankful for this church. I'm glad that Perimeter Road Baptist Church opens up its doors so that all can come in and fellowship. I'm grateful for these things. Yet we have a lot years to go. Think about this analogy. It's as if we've boarded a spaceship, we've taken off and we've landed on the moon. Let's cheer, let's be proud. Let's be grateful for this endeavor, this mission that we've accomplished. Sure, there's cause for celebration, but God has commanded that we not stop until we have landed safely in another galaxy altogether. Let's not stop with the progress we have made. Let's embrace the gospel, let's walk with God and let's continue to move forward so that we see that God is not content with indifference or tolerance, but God commands peace. You see, killing racism, killing all sin is far more than learning to filter our words. It's far more than learning some new tricks of morality or trying to put up a front of being ethical. Let me say it this way. There is a gross distinction between sitting by someone at church and belonging with someone in the church. Sadly, I'm gonna pause here because I want to be very cautious. Just this year, 2018, I experienced firsthand, quote unquote, subtle racism in these walls, on site here at Perimeter Road Baptist Church, where sitting in a group of people, one person made an offhand remark in joke about a person of different skin color. In that group, there were people of different skin colors. 
You can imagine that joke didn't sit well. There was not very much laughing. But let me tell you the good that came out of this. The good that came out of this is that both of these men were eager and willing to reconcile. Forgiveness was asked and forgiveness was given. The dividing wall of hostility took another hit as God's people showed their sensitivity to the spirit and their willingness to be sanctified by God. Yet the fact remains, racism exists in the church. It exists in our lives. And I think if we're all transparent, if each of us musters up the integrity and honesty, we need to answer this question. Racism exists in our very souls. This sin and all other sins must be destroyed as God would have fit as we grow together in the grace of our Lord Jesus. Now, what does Paul provide? What does God speak through Paul in giving us as the ammunition to shoot down this sin, to destroy it? Well, it's, it's the gospel. He outlines for us that the very essence of our new identities the, the essence of who we are as God's people it, it is not our family tree. It is, it is not the, the blood coursing through our veins. It is not our heritage. It is not the history of all that we've done in our lives and what our parents have done and our grandparents and so on and so forth. No, this is not our identity. But as believers in cross who have been brought to the cross by Jesus Christ, our identity is found in the blood of Christ. It's his blood that marks us and it's no longer our own. Ephesians chapter two, verses 12 through 13. You can kind of see where we're moving all over the place here in these uh, 11 or 12 verses. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus, praise the Lord. That while we were hopeless, that while we were without God, that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we can't raise ourselves back to life, Jesus Christ miraculously and gloriously crashes down into our world to seek and save his people. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. That's what marks us, his blood. Do you identify with that? As a person, do you press into that? Do you lean into that? Do you wrap up everything that you are in the blood of Christ? We must. When we do this, our pride is washed away. Our pride and our egos are gone. So we ask, what gives us the right to look down on anyone for any reason? Nothing. We were nothing before 
and we were completely incapable of getting to Christ. It is Jesus who rescued us. It is Jesus who restored us. It is Jesus who redeemed us and demands that we walk with his spirit. In this, we learn to love others. We learn to love our neighbors and we even learn to love our enemies because of his eternal love. This love that he poured out into our lives through the cross. So now we take our pride, we take our prejudices and we throw them to the cross. There they will be dealt with. There they will be murdered. We say to the enemy within us, greater is he that is in me than you that are in the world. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. I've been commanded to love my neighbor by my God and God knows best. So now with intentionality and care, we pray for God to give us the grace that we lack so that we can have his grace to love others. We pray for God to give us the grace that we lack so that we can have grace to destroy our own pride so that we can have grace to meet others where they are rather than expecting them to meet us where we are. After all, isn't that what Christ accomplished for us? We show our hospitality by not just opening up the doors of our church house, but we now open up the doors of our house house. We bring people into our own lives. We eat together. We cheer on our teams together. We listen to music together. We watch our children play together. We laugh together. We hurt together. We confess sin together. We grow in Christ together and we glorify Christ together because as we can see in the gospel, God not only saved us to himself, but he saved us to one another. What a miracle. What a miracle that God not only commands indifference or tolerance, but that he commands peace. Are there people in your sphere that you've been hostile towards? And maybe they have no idea. Maybe you've never expressed this hostility outright, but deep, deep down lurking in your soul, hostility waits ready to pounce, fueling your own internal fire, making you think that you've got your act together. You see, in the gospel, Jesus teaches a parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And we see a vivid scene of two men praying, crying out to God. And the tax collector realizing his status before an almighty God humbles himself low and cries out, God, please, please have mercy on me for I know I am a worm, I am nothing. I am the dust of the ground. In walks the Pharisee, shoulders back, chin up. He looks as if staring into the throne of God. God, thank you for making me who I am. You were right to teach me to obey your law. And look, all the laws I have upheld, look at how great I am, God. Jesus asked, which of these men pleases the Father? It is he who is humble. God's plan was to save your life from your sin. His plan was to save your life from his wrath. And he does this along with all his children. See, we are together. We are one. 
We are unified by the blood of Christ, walking with the Spirit of God to the glory of God the Father. This, of course, is the work and the majesty of our great God. Trusting wholly in Christ's work on the cross to bring us to salvation, believers must regularly preach the gospel to themselves and others. Believing in this gospel is exactly what causes salvation, also causes believers to mature. It is this remembrance of the work of Christ which brings genuine peace and unity among God's people. Where do we see pride, racism, and all sin destroyed? in the gospel. Is that being made manifest in your life? In just a moment, we are going to have a reflection time. Clint is going to come and lead us. And this next song that we're gonna sing, I'm so grateful for. I really appreciate, again, Clint on this. But we're gonna sing, We Will Feast in the House of Zion. And as I was thinking through this text, I'm grateful that the Lord impressed this upon me because I want us to pay attention to, as we sing this song, the plural pronouns. Now, I know you didn't get in your car this morning and rush through traffic yelling at people because they were either driving too fast or too slow, all so you could come to church and get an English lesson. But as we examine the lyrics of this song, it says, every vow, we, we corporately, all of us together, we've broken God's commands. Any promises that we've made, we've broken them because we lack the faithfulness that we need. But God is the faithful one. And so we look to him as the faithful one. We see the work that he has accomplished in us individually and see the work he's accomplished in us corporately. And we sing this, bind us together, bring what? Shalom. Bring peace, God. Bring peace. We will feast. There's a glorious, incredible day for God's people. We rest with him, eternally exalting him. Let's embody that now. Let's plead for God to change our beings now so that we can have that shalom, that peace here on this side of eternity where God is not yet done. Yes, this will be us, this is us, and this is not because of us, but it is all because of Christ. So let us praise him together as Clint comes forward. May we be unified by God, for God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for ripping my heart apart on this text for challenging me to be faithful to your holy word. Lord, thank you for giving my spirit a pause in studying this text so that I wouldn't be satisfied with my own thoughts or my own opinions, but God, that I would be more content in being led by your spirit. And Father, I pray this morning still as you continue to work in my life, God, that this word would take root even deeper inside of my soul. Lord, I pray for our church. Yes, Lord, we thank you. We are grateful for the miracles that you have worked out in giving us peace.
and granting us reconciliation and helping us taste that shalom that waits for us on the other side of eternity. Yet God, we still have a ways to go. And Lord, I pray that each of us would do business with you, that we would plead for your Holy Spirit to continue leading and guiding as we shave off this flesh and as we destroy this pride and as we seek for that uh, wall of hostility inside of us to be further dismantled and destroyed. God, I pray that this local church would be seen as a lighthouse in our community where every single person is welcome and appreciated. Lord, thank you for sending Christ. Thank you for saving us by his work on the cross and thank you for restoring us by his work on the cross. We love you, God. Our lives are forever yours. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.